0: Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the I Connect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I'm a medical science liaison with the medication delivery team at Baxter Canada, and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that impact your day-to-day practice as a clinician. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Kyle Waldman back to join us for this episode. If you missed his first interview, you can find the link to that in the library. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us again, Dr. Waldman. It's fantastic to have you back. Um, we'll skip over all of the previous introductions that we've done and jump right to the content and the discussion. And Sounds if, good. I want to start with gaining a better understanding about what is regional analgesia. Sure.
1: So um, regional anesthesia is like a... Um, basically using local anesthetics, like I said, the same medication you would would get at a dentist or something, to freeze or or anesthetize different parts of the body. Essentially, this involves uh, an anesthesiologist using an ultrasound machine to uh, locate the nerves which contain information from parts of the body to the brain. So, basically, a small amount of local is injected around the nerve and this interrupts pain signals from ever reaching the brain.
0: Now, would this be sort of uh, a normal part of an anesthesiologist practice, uh, using an ultrasound to guide this type of injection of medication?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, all re- all anesthesiologists have some, what you call, regional anesthesia built into their training, um, some more than others, and some techniques are a little more advanced. I mean, only certain anesthesiologists would be comfortable or, or trained to do so. So, when we're talking about um, continuous regional anesthesia, which is um, in addition to this leaving local anesthetic around the nerve, when an actual small catheter is actually left there and when it continuously infuses uh, pain medication around the nerve to, to keep the for about, you know, hopefully up to 72 hours, uh, that's a little more of an advanced technique, especially depending on what part of the body you're trying to uh, target to actually make uh, comfortable. Um, but um, usually there's a, a few members in, in every department of a, of a tertiary hospital which offers surgeries that would require that, that w- would be trained in, 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 that, in those techniques.
0: And you mentioned that um, in order to perform a continuous infusion, a catheter is inserted. And what does, mm-hmm. what does that actually look like? What type of catheter is used? How big is the catheter? How long can it stay
1: mm-hmm. in? Sure. So, I mean, I I think the catheter word, unfortunately, has very negative connotations. Everybody, you know, thinks about a urinary catheter or some massive, sharp, huge plastic tube. So it's actually, it's incredibly small. It's um, maybe a couple hair widths uh, thick. It's totally flexible and soft. So patients don't even feel that at the end. Um, There's nothing sharp at the end. Um, All they see is a band-aid on their leg and the low tube coming out. Um, The ones we do um, run for about 72 hours afterwards, and they're just hooked up to a a local anesthetic bottle, um, which continuously infuses local anesthetic through the tube uh, down to um, where we placed it around the nerve.
0: Okay. And who would be considered a candidate for regional anesthesia?
1: Yeah. Um, So the the nice thing about regional anesthesia um, is that um, it's incredibly safe and has very few contraindications. Uh, That being said, we generally try to avoid regional anesthesia in patients who are at risk of bleeding, so patients who are on blood thinners like uh, Warfarin or or Plavix. But, you know, the vast majority of patients have have already stopped these blood thinners prior to surgery anyways. Um, So almost anyone, with the exception of maybe some very rare allergies or some rare um, disorders, are a candidate for regional anesthesia. No, absolutely not. I would actually argue that increasing age is a um, it becomes even more beneficial. Um, I mean, take for example, maybe five year old person coming in with a hip fracture or needs their their knee replaced. The last thing you want is this person being you know snowed off their mind, off high dose uh, opioids, and becoming delirious in hospital. So you know, a good working regional anesthesia technique can eliminate some, if not all, the need for opioids, which means that person is much less at risk of developing any of these these terrible side effects of high opioids.
0: Right. What is the difference between continuous regional anesthesia and usual care?
1: Yeah, so um, I I think it's important to understand that you know there really isn't such a thing as as usual care in anesthesia. I, I think usual anesthetic care kind of differs between the surgical procedure. And the term anesthesia is a catch-all term for many different types of of medical techniques or medicines that can all be used to keep patients comfortable during surgery. Um, You know, for instance, there's general anesthesia, which is a state of full-body anesthesia where a patient is totally unconscious. And I think this is what most people think of when they imagine anesthesia. They picture someone asleep in an operating room with a breathing tube in their throat and the human breathing for them. But there's, there's many more modalities that we use to keep patients comfortable. There's a neuraxial, you know, otherwise known as spinal or epidural anesthesia. And that's, you know, when we put a small amount of freezing your back to freeze a part of your body, either for surgery or for like, you know, childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, sedation when, you know, you just give patients medications intravenously. Um, and then there's regional anesthesia, which we kind of just touched on. But often, as anesthesiologists, we, we combine one or more of these modalities to try to maximize the benefits and minimize, you know, the side effects of each. So taking, for example, you know, a knee or hip surgery, typically a patient will receive a spinal anesthetic and that, uh, and regional anesthesia or otherwise known as nerve block um, and sedation. So the spinal anesthetic would you know, ensure that the patient feels no discomfort during surgery. The nerve block would minimize the pain after the surgery and the sedation is just you know, to keep the patient comfortable and unaware during the procedure itself.
0: Why would a physician want to consider this type of modality for pain management?
1: Well, so, um, uh, so let, let me give you an example. If you were to come into our hospital two years ago for knee surgery, you would have had a spinal anesthetic, single-shot nerve blocks, um, and for your procedure. Um, and, you know, usually you'd be, you know, very comfortable the first 12 or 16 hours after your surgery as those nerve blocks are working. But once they start wearing off, you'll begin to experience pain and require opioids to achieve, you know, a reasonable level of comfort. So with continuous anesthesia or continuous regional anesthesia, we can prolong that window of comfort from 12 to 72 hours getting the patient first off over the initial uh, worst of the pain and allowing the body more time to heal while still allowing the patient to mobilize when it doesn't have any motor component to it.
0: So there's no risk of additional patient falls or um, numbness or anything like that?
1: Well, it definitely is numbness. We want the numbness. Yep, we want the numbness. <laughs> yes, uh, we want the numbness. But in terms of in terms of motor, you know, that was a, a long-held—I don't want to say myth, but you know, very much a concern, and you know, a, a valid concern amongst uh, orthopedic surgeons and stuff. But you know, a lot of that concern has has, has been dissipated over the years um, from changes in, in technique. Um you know, in order to achieve analgesia after surgery. Only very dilute amounts of local anesthetic are required. I know it, um, if you use very concentrated local anesthetic, yes, you know you will notice some um, weakness in in your quadricep muscles, the muscles which allow you to help uh, you know uh, bend your leg, which which could be a problem, especially for mobilizing after. Or certainly if you if if you act repeatedly what you call bolus the catheter, meaning if you keep firing in local anesthetic after. Um, but if if you just run a low-dose infusion of these very dilute local anesthetics, which we do, we're not seeing that motor weakness. And I I think the nail in the coffin uh, on this issue was the real-life experience that we've seen. Um, We haven't had any significant falls um, in in hospitals with with these catheters. Our our physiotherapy team assesses every patient before they go home, and if they had any weakness, they'd for sure be identified when we be allowed to discharge. Right. So I think on average, I think the literature quotes about eight or 9% decrease in strength in your in your quadricep muscles, which, you know, really isn't that significant for somebody recovering from knee surgery. It's not like they're going on a running a marathon yeah, that night. Definitely, they just definitely. need to, you know, be able to, yeah, exactly. They need to be able to go get up from their bed, you know, go to the washroom or maybe do a, a few exercises in the bed. So that 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 small amount of likely insignificant weaknesses in the first day, really, really doesn't contribute to overall risk.
0: What about a patient? What would be some of the driving factors that would make a patient want to consider or, uh, obvi- I'm probably not even consider, but to be open to to this type of uh, pain management?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, in, in my mind, and I think most people would agree with me, regional anesthesia offers so many benefits over all, alternative forms of analgesia or, and, and anesthesia. Um, first of all, sur- certain surgeries can be done entirely with regional anesthesia. If you have your foot or ankle fixed, um, we can just do it in, entirely under, under regional anesthesia or nerve block, so you can avoid all the, the nasty side effects associated with mm-hmm. general anesthetic, which is you know nausea, vomiting, sore throat, groggy, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but probably most important, we do it because it, it's just so excellent for pain afterwards. Um, they are I- incredibly opioid sparing, um, and at this point may seem redundant. Uh, I say it's excellent for pain, but it also is incredible in the amount of opioid despair Because it's important to remember how awful opioids can make people feel after surgery: nauseating, constipating, like I said, urinary retention, uh, drowsy, and even habit forming. Um, and, and lastly, with the with the regional anesthesia we're now offering, the continuous peripheral nerve block, the pain relief and opioid sparing effects patients are experiencing according to our feedback and our data, is, is almost incredible. Um, and, and it's great because there's also an emerging body of evidence that, like I said, by treating acute pain up front aggressively, we can actually help patients uh, go on uh, to, or prevent them from going on to develop chronic pain. That
0: alone um, is very intriguing to me, the thought of being able to minimize any sort of risk of chronic pain syndromes. I think would be a selling feature for this type of uh, treatment option for everyone. Like, it almost sounds like a no-brainer. Do you know why organizations may be reluctant or hesitant to adopt this approach to pain management?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think one of the, the main areas of hesitation is just it's such a massive shift from the way we traditionally treated, triaged uh, our, 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 our joints. You know, we're we're decreasing length of stay to essentially zero days in hospital, um, so that requires a, a lot of systemic changes, both on behalf of, of anesthesia, orthopedics, um, nursing care, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, um, to be truthful. You know, insertion of the actual continuous regional anesthesia is a very minor part of the actual overall program. It's it's all the it's it's the program built around it to support us doing that, which is you know which is which is the real revelation, right? Yes. So hosp- hospitals really have to you know have, have their programs. Uh, I think uh, and and the workings of the program very well established, uh, you know, before you should uh, be be discharging patients home with these. And I think that is a large part of the hesitation, just the idea that you know this is this is too big. We we can't take this on, and uh, you know, yeah. there's there's so many what ifs.
0: Change management is definitely uh, always a challenge with anything. And I'm sort of, I'm definitely going to date myself here, but I think of my um, organization when we implemented a total knee pathway and we were thrilled that we were getting patients down to a five day stay. So <laughs> obviously, if we're talking about sending people home the same day, what an amazing accomplishment! that is um, for Humber and for the patients that you care for. Because as you have said, we know that staying in hospital is definitely not an ideal state for anyone um, Mm -hmm. under any circumstance. So the fact of being able to get home and recover is just amazing. Absolutely. And I mean,
1: I'm not going to date myself here, but I'm going to put my quality improvement cap on for a second. Uh, I mean, from a quality improvement standpoint, in my mind, this is a no-brainer. Hospitals should always try and strive to improve the value of the services they offer. And, you know, value is a very multi-phase metric. It can be viewed from both the standpoint of the patient, you know, and the hospital. I think as we touched on from the from the patient standpoint, uh, value is, can just be seen as, as how satisfied it is with the product they're receiving. In this case, the product could be the experience with our outpatient total joint pathway, right, and from like I said, from all the data and all the feedback, we're I mean, getting, patients love it. They get to go home, they recover in their own bed, they eat their own food, uh, their loved ones visit whenever they like. Uh, so they're they're extremely comfortable. They're supported by an anesthesiologist, you know, for three days um, about their medications, about their catheters, and so they were they recover very pain free and anxiety free, and they always feel supported. I, I think from an organizational standpoint. Uh, outpatient joints offer incredible value. They, they vastly decrease the resources needed per patient. I think we'll simultaneously improving patient care. Right. Um, so I think I mentioned in, in our institution now, uh, our, our, our needs would traditionally stay for about 2.2 to 2.4 days, but with our continuous regional anesthesia program now, over 75% of our patients are going home the same day. So, I mean, if a hospital dedicates, you know, just a little bit of resources to setting up a program like this, it, it repays itself in, with dividends.
0: And I think that is uh, one of the most interesting things because no, it isn't often that you hear of, you know, a reduction in hospital stay being a positive, um, you know, positive for the organization, positive for the patient. It's it's a positive all all around change and uh like i said we know that change management is difficult and perhaps approaching it from a quality improvement lens would make mm-hmm. it more appealing or more um uh, maybe the, the breaking, breaking down some of the barriers i'm not sure what your thoughts are if if that would help organizations considering implementing uh,
1: yeah no I, I, absolutely i mean yeah i think once organizations see see the value in it. And I mean, and it's not, it's not just about cost savings, you know, really quality improvement should not be about cost savings. You know, we're we're not building cell phones here. We're not making cars. Um, uh, anything that I think purely focuses on cost savings in a hospital usually ends up doing disservices to patients. This is not that at all. This just happens to be a happy, you know, side effect of this program. Um, like I said, it, 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 this program truly adds value. Um, these patients are getting the same, if not better, care um, at, at home. They're, they're, they're recovering better. The, there, there really is no reason for 90% of these patients to stay in hospital unless you have, you know, horrible congestive heart failure or you know, if we're in chronic pain and require, you know, 500 milligrams of opioid a day need to be supervised in the hospital, there's no value added benefit of staying in the hospital. Everything we do here, we can do as an outpatient.
0: This has been a fantastic discussion. Um, I've truly learned a lot from you and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I appreciate um, all of the discussion. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners that, um, you feel maybe you haven't expanded on enough or that you want to just reinforce?
1: Um, you know what? I mean, the only thing I'd say I'd want to reinforce uh, for anybody who's, who's saying, you know, this would be a great plan for our hospital. Where can I even get started or or how should we do this? Um, I'd say, you know, good lines of communication, between the orthopedic department, anesthesia and patients are are really paramount to success. Like I said, it's a huge change and it'll be adjustment for all parties involved. Um, I I remember when we first started doing outpatient use, we we were worried and legitimately so. I mean, one of the orthopods I I started working on with this, you know, I just told them one day, you know, we want to get patients, you want to get patients out of hospital earlier. Um, We want them to be more comfortable. Uh, well, this you know, this has worked really well for our shoulders, and I think we can make this work for our knees. So, you know, when we when we first started doing that, it was just uh, me and this one other surgeon, and we we would touch base with each other almost almost daily. Um, we you know we would give each other feedback, and you know, I called Mrs. X or Mr. Y the other day; they were doing great. Or, you know, I think we should maybe change our multimodal analgesia around, and they would you know tell me things about how the patients were recovering when they saw them in follow up. Um, and I think most importantly, the patients themselves were an incredibly rich source of important feedback for me. Uh, we we learned a lot about how they were using their medications or not using them. Uh, <laughs> we 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 discovered if catheters were falling out or leaking, what time of day their pain was uh, worse. Um, so I, I think constant feedback and constant improvement of little changes um, it, it was is so key to to getting a program like this off the ground.
0: I think um, you nailed it on the head, communication is always key, and and this really sort of reiterates that for everyone, that involving the appropriate stakeholders, making sure that there is an open form of communication and dialogue back and forth is really um, so important for the success, and I look forward to seeing where Humber goes next and and what um, patient stories come out of this, and I'm going to say, I was going to say if I need a knee replacement, but I'm sure eventually the day will come when I will need a knee replacement. I will certainly make sure that it's at Humber because um, it sounds like fantastic outcomes are being achieved
1: there. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it, we're, we're very proud of what we are achieved. And like you said, we, we can't wait to see how we can continue to improve on this and, and where it's going to go next.
0: Thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us today, and I look forward to future discussions with you.
1: Me too. Thank you so much, Michelle.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to ensure you always receive notification. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future
1: podcasts, please email those to iconnect@baxter.com.